Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. I'm Dr. Michael Corrin, and I'm the moderator today for our Med Evidence Hour, which um, is going along very, very rapidly. We are in our third segment, and I have the great privilege of having Dr. Bharat Misra join me today. And we are talking about liquid biopsies. And in this segment, we're going to talk about some of the research that's going on in your laboratory and in your practice here in Northeast Florida. And I have to brag a little bit uh, for my colleague. He actually developed the protocol for some of these studies. So it's really exciting to not only conduct these studies, but also to be with the person who was the brainchild of exactly how we got the information. So with that introduction brought, tell us a little bit about the structure of these studies that are going on here in Northeast Florida and talk, talk us about some of your contributions and how that all played out. Thank you, Mike. So um, at the start, we had mentioned how liquid biopsies can be used for screening, which is try to find early cancer or precancerous lesions in people who have no symptoms, like you're 45 and looking for colon cancer. That's actually a great place um, uh, where I got interested. Uh, as you know, I'm a gastroenterologist. I do a gazillion colonoscopies a year. You cut and, down, I see here. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, I love doing colonoscopies. <clears throat> we get paid very well for them. But colonoscopy is a very invasive screening test. It's a great test. It is the best test currently. So don't get me wrong. It's the best screening test there is for colon cancer. But even I can see how it is, you have to take a couple of days off, you have to drink a gallon of uh, salty liquid, somebody has to drive you home to get sedated, there are risks involved. So my interest in liquid biopsies came because we were approached by a very large uh, company out of California to do a study looking for blood markers for colon cancer. And uh, we said yes, and we participated in the trial. I believe we were one of the highest enrolling uh, and I wanted to thank all my patients and all Borland Grover patients who participated in the trial. So what they did was patients were having a colonoscopy. They were invited to have a blood test. And the company has uh, looking for several, not one, but dozens of markers that reflect the presence of early cancer or colon polyps. And I believe the study is completed and they are now analyzing it and should be published very soon. Um, the preliminary data is very impressive uh, that this particular blood test may be as good as Cologuard, which is the stool uh, test for colon cancer. And a blood test is much easier to do. So we're excited, we're waiting for the results. And that got me interested in screening for colon cancer by less invasive ways. So um, with Mike's guidance and help, uh, uh, I did write a protocol mm -hmm. for a small company out of uh, California called Interven. Uh, they approached us, they actually approached Encore and uh, said we would like to work on a blood marker for colon cancer. And this company has been working for many years now looking for something called glycoproteins. Well, glycoproteins are basically protein coated with sugar. And apparently every protein that is made in the cell 
the number one change that happens to it is a sugar molecule is attached to it. And that's how it works. Before proteins can do what they're supposed to do as building blocks, as enzymes, as nutrition. And this company has developed proprietary technology that can measure hundreds of glycoproteins. And nobody else has studied this, but they believe that because glycoproteins are the active molecules in the cell, you get a closest picture to how a cell is doing by measuring them. And they have preliminary data that you can distinguish cancer from benign um, uh, colons using this technology. So when they approached us, uh, we worked with them and uh, with the help of some great staff at Encore, I was able to write the protocol and then uh, we uh, had a regulatory authority approve the protocol and then we are actually in the process of uh, doing the clinical trial. So anybody who needs a colonoscopy, all you have to do is have a blood test within 30 days. The study is as simple as that. That's neat. So uh, that was my next question is maybe you can walk through the audience on what it means to be in a clinical trial. So most people have not participated in clinical trials. And I like to remind people that when you ask a member of the general public who has not been personally exposed to a clinical trial and you ask them whether or not they'd be willing to participate, the, the, the willingness is about 60% of the population. But once a patient has been actually in a clinical trial, that number goes up to 97%. In our surveys here in Northeast Florida, it's actually 99% of people in one clinical trial are willing to do another. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very favorable and fun and, and an educational and engaging process. But walk through people, like how, how do um, you get approached about it? What, what do you have to do? What are the expectations? So tell us a little bit about uh, clinical trials in general, but more specifically how it works for liquid biopsy studies. Sure, and um, uh, thank you, Mike. I think that's one of the most satisfying things is uh, we have our own internal service showing that nine out of 10 people who participate in a clinical trial would come back and do it again in a heartbeat. Um, so for this particular trial, since it's looking for a marker for colon cancer and polyps, you obviously have to be scheduled for a colonoscopy. Since this trial is being done at Borland Grover and Encore, it has to be at Borland, one of the Borland Grover offices. Which is a big GI practice in, in Florida, for those of you that are listening to yeah, this outside the of Florida. GI practice in Northeast Florida. <clears throat> and um, so the way it works is you're, you will get a phone call or your doctor will tell you that there is this new exciting trial uh, using a blood test for colon cancer screening. Are you interested in participating? And it'll tell you a little bit about it. And if you're interested, typically they bring you in for a short visit where they tell you about the trial. 15 minutes? Just a few minutes, mm. maybe about 15 minutes. And they go over what is called the consent, which is a document um, which tells you all the things that are involved in, in this trial. What are the risks? What are the benefits? Is there an alternative? Are you reimbursed? So for example, we give them a $100 gift card and it's a nice couple of lunches there. So uh, when this process is over and you agree to participate, then you sign a piece of paper, you have blood drawn, and then you go home. Um, it's as simple as that. And our coordinators are very good at educating people. They go through the consent line by line. It's a long consent, but we are required to cover a lot of area. Um, but 
Is there a big risk for a liquid biopsy study for the patients? What is the risk? I think the only risk is uh, while drawing the blood, if uh, you hit the wrong vessel and something like that, which is extremely rare. So the risk of liquid biopsy study is minimal, almost none. No different than a blood test? Any kind no of different than going to lab. You don't use a super big needle or you don't pull the vein out of the arm and suck it or anything like that? Fortunately, they require very little blood. You know, what's interesting is we draw, I think, about 7 ml, which is, um, you know, one and a half teaspoon of blood. But I was actually speaking to the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. He said he can do this test on a drop of blood. And that's going to be the next phase of the trial. If Mm -hmm. If these molecules have a signal, and this is the most exciting part to me, imagine you have a colon cancer screening test which is a drop of blood, a little finger stick drop. That's a game changer. And that's crazy. But it kind of makes sense. Like you, you watch the crime shows and they, there's a piece of dried blood from 30 years ago right. that you can barely even see. <laughs> and they know everything that happened at the crime scene based right. on this. <laughs> so I guess there's no reason why that technology can't actually translate to medicine. Correct. If they can find out who's the dad on Maury Povich's show, <laughs> we can find out if they have cancer or not. There you go. There you DNA go. is very useful in that it's sense. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, so, then once you, so basically this particular study tends to be one of the simpler things that we do in clinical research. We have many more complicated studies that, uh, of course, we do day-to-day as clinical researchers, but this is a, a great introduction to clinical research because it's really, really simple. But are there any obligations afterwards that people need to be worried about? Um, what, what about privacy issues? Maybe you can address some of those things. Sure. Uh, people are afraid. What are they going to do with my blood? Well, the blood is taken and analyzed, and then uh, the data is kept in a secure uh, facility. And some very brilliant scientists, PhDs, then analyze the blood and look for markers. We don't share that information with anybody. Almost all the information that goes to the company does not have any data about identification of the patient. So they don't know that it's your blood. And um, one of the things which was interesting to me is how strong the safeguards are for privacy, Mm -hmm. um, uh, patient privacy. That's a very big deal. And that's part of the consenting process. Uh, There is a very high bar to cross uh, sharing patients' uh, information, and uh, the safeguards are very high. And I think that's an important point to make, is that the sponsors for these studies actually don't know who you are. Correct. We de-identify all that. So your doctor knows who you are, of course, and that's important because we do learn something. We need to get in touch with you and let you know what you learn. But that's happening at the local level from your physician. And the people that are analyzing this uh, in San Francisco or or in Zurich or wherever they may be actually don't know who you are. Correct. They do know some information about you. They know your age, or your medical problems, if you've had cancer before, what medications. But every piece of information that we send to them is redacted with any patient information. In other words, there is no identifier that tells them that this is your information that is being shared. Well, Brat, we flew through that session, and what I want to get into our final session for this particular topic is talk about what's in it for me from the perspective of the audience. So with all these things, people want to know, like, why do I need to know about this, and how can I act on it? This episode of MedEvidence is powered by Encore Research Group. If you're interested in liquid biopsy research, please call Encore Borland Gruber Clinical Research at 904-680-0871. Now let's get back to the doctors. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin. I am the moderator for this session of MedEvidence, and I have the great honor and privilege to be with my colleague and friend, Bharat Misra, and we're talking about liquid biopsies. So we've covered a lot of ground already. This is our fourth session on this topic. And what I wanted to get into for this particular session is getting it sort of personalized for the people that are listening to us. And with all these things, you get there's so much information out there on medicine, and people are just actually overloaded with all this information. But ultimately, what we try to do here at MedEvidence is titrate the information so people can understand what's in it for me or my family or the people I love. So let's get into that. Let's get very explicit. So we talked about liquid biopsies. This is mostly investigational work. But you tell the audience what's in it for the people who are listening right now. Good question. That's patients ask me quite often. Why should I do it? And I think the main reason, and I believe I've learned this from my patients, is the people who participate in clinical trials have a very altruistic motive. Uh, there's something about us human beings. We're a social species. We're a social animal. When you do something that benefits somebody else, it makes you feel really good. That is actually the primary reason most of our patients do clinical trials. And uh, it's very humbling to see that. In this particular trial, patients don't get any benefit immediately. But if they have a son who's 40 Personal years, benefit. Yeah. No personal yeah. benefit mm -hmm. immediately, except for a small uh, reimbur uh, kind of a, a small gift uh, card. You, you get a small payment for your time and effort and, and to be available if questions come up. That's it. So other than that, they don't get any major benefit. In, in this particular trial. Um, and that's the reason it's so amazing to me that we have already enrolled 384 patients wow. in this trial in the last couple of months. And what's interesting to me is my patients have come up to and thanked me. Said, thank you for doing this. That makes me feel really good. Um, so I think um, it, it, it's made me more uh, appreciative of how you know human beings are very complex, good and bad. Uh, but I think in this particular case, it's the better angels of our nature that makes you do research. But there are other studies in which the benefits are quite significant. So, for example, we have a study uh, using a biologic drug for a disease called eosinophilic esophagitis. It's a terrible disease. Your esophagus becomes scarred and narrowed. It's from eating a food that you're allergic to, and it's very hard to find out what it is. Well, we have a drug now that can actually reverse, stop the process, and then reverse the damage in the esophagus. Mm -hmm. So in that particular trial, if you happen to get the drug, which is two out of three patients in that trial, you would get a significant benefit uh, from this. Another great example is, we did trials for hepatitis C almost uh, eight, 15 years ago or so, and the first drugs were approved only about two, three years ago. The people who participated in the trial got her to their hepatitis C a decade before mm. other people who couldn't get the drug. Mm. So that's my favorite quote is, uh, the next miracle drug is in a clinical trial somewhere. So if you have a disease that is um, has no good treatments, well, a clinical trial is where you need to look. Yeah, and there's a lot of other information that's shared, which is things that you may not ordinarily get in clinical practice. So a lot of studies have imaging that you'll get information for, and, and we're happy to send that information to other physicians. There may be other blood tests that are done that you wouldn't routinely get. So there's, there's a number of these ancillary benefits. And 
uh, as you mentioned, altruism is really, really important, but it's also fun. It's kind of a, yeah. a bit of an entertaining type of venue where you interact with some really, really cool people and you get to see how something that's really neat is developed and be part of it. So yeah. for I get the same feedback from my patients about uh, being thankful that they were presented the opportunity of being part of a clinical research program. So that's a neat thing. So let, let's uh, put on our, our, let's look at our crystal ball and let's uh, anticipate how this may help people in say three to five years uh, based on the research that's being done today here in Northeast Florida. Correct. So as I had alluded to, the amount of research that is now being done in liquid biopsy space is through the roof. Um, uh, the big uh, um, you know, development just a few months ago was that uh, Illumina, which is a large biotech company, uh, bought Grail, which is a liquid biopsy company, for $8 billion. Hmm. So um, <clears throat> people know this has legs. So this has the potential to replace screening. I'll give you a classic example. There's no good screening for lung cancer. And yet lung cancer is the number one cancer. Um, and uh, liquid biopsy is easy. It can be done repeatedly. You can have a blood test done every year. You can compare it. You can see what is happening. And maybe you might not get that answer immediately. But if you wait three years, you have three years, three samples. If it's rising, it's concerning. A lot of inherent advantages. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, so... The potential is real. Now, how long it's going to take, this is where I'm a little bit uh, humble about it because many things I have predicted uh, <clears throat> have not turned out to be true. It's tough um, making predictions, especially about the future. To quote Yogi Berra. Yes. Yeah, that's what Yogi Berra <laughs> said. So he was right on the money. So um, in terms of the time frame, um, I don't know for sure. Um, but we think in the next... 10 years, that would be a good time frame. Liquid biopsy will be the way we will be screening many cancers, uh, the way we'll be diagnosing, hard to diagnose cancers, and definitely using it to develop uh, what kind of treatment has to be given. And, and some of the technology in the liquid biopsy space is almost like, it's almost, un, even for me as a physician, it's unbelievable. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have a cancer cell roaming around in your blood. Okay. They use a magnetic bead to which an antibody is attached. Then they inject these antibodies with magnets. They go on and they target the cancer cells, the cancer cells. Then they attach a chemotherapeutic drug to another magnet and it goes and attaches this. This technology is available currently in clinical trials somewhere. It's just amazing. So I think this is um, um, a very amazing time to be in the biotechnology space um, because of uh, this unique genius of American democracy where you have a great university system, unlimited funding, and this can-do Silicon Valley spirit mm -hmm. combined with just breakthroughs in biology, um, especially the mapping of the human genome. Things are just coming up that are, I think, in my opinion, have the potential to change everything in the next 10 years. It's a very exciting space to be in. So let me ask you a, a bit of a provocative question regarding your patient and your sense for 
um, whether the additional information can make a difference and whether or not you would express it in any way. So patients in, in your trial, they have a clean colonoscopy and a negative, negative biopsy, a liquid biopsy. Does that make you feel even better about what their prognosis would be over the next five years? I think so. I think liquid uh, it's not an either-or. Uh, a liquid biopsy is complementary to your genetic information, your personal risk. Um, so yes, I think it would make you feel even better mm -hmm. if the biomarkers that could predict colon polyps and cancers are not in the bloodstream. And then just to clarify one of the points that you made, you, you said that it was a company called Grail that was bought by Illumina. Yeah. Does Illumina own all of Grail? <laughs> Is this a wholly owned Grail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it owns the whole. Illumina is now a wholly owned owner of Grail, <laughs> looking for the Holy Grail. Or they found the Holy Grail, <laughs> you know. Okay. So. I can't help the dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing, I'm, I'm going to make it a little bit personal and share some information. So I have such great confidence in Dr. Misford that I actually allowed him to do my colonoscopy. So my screening colonoscopy when I turned 50, that I was a little bit late for, I have to admit, <laughs> was performed expertly by Dr. Misford. So, Brad, what's your prediction? Will I have to go back to you, or do I think maybe just get a blood test? That's, no offense now. <laughs> yeah. So I have to share a personal story about this. So Mike comes in for his colonoscopy. He's fully prepped. He's a little bit, few years behind, but still under warranty, as we call it. <laughs> and then we start an IV, and I asked him, I said, okay, so you're not going to work tomorrow? He said, no, I'm going to a research conference in, uh, I think, Whale, Colorado, or some fancy <laughs> place at 3 o'clock this evening. And I said, no, you're not traveling anywhere if you get sedation. He said, then, okay, what's my choice? I said, do it without sedation. And to his credit, he did his entire procedure without sedation. And didn't feel a thing. <laughs> yeah, he's a tough man, and it, the truth is it can be done. Anyway, so I think coming to the question, what will you need in 10 years? You mm -hmm. had a clean, healthy colon. I suspect- One of the better ones, right? One of the better ones. <laughs> <laughs> like top 10 percentile? A very smart colon. <laughs> <laughs> so I suspect that, um, especially because we've just completed the trial and the preliminary data is very good. As, as you know, Mike, we, we have a menu of options for colon cancer screening. You have a stool for blood, a stool DNA test, colonoscopy, um, those are the three big ones. I suspect that the next time you will be given another option, which is a blood-based screening test every three years. And um, we actually just did a clinical, we did a research study looking to see, what do patients think about blood tests for colon cancer? And uh, gastroenterologists all everywhere will shudder a little bit, but as soon as you introduce, so patients generally prefer colonoscopy as the number one screening test currently. But when you introduce a hypothetical blood test into that mix, it immediately becomes the test of choice for 78% of people. Hmm. So, um, and because of that, uh, because it's so easy and patient-friendly, there's no embarrassment, there's no risk, um, it has the potential to become the number one screening test, uh, including for people who want to fly to exotic places after their procedure. <laughs> well, that's really, really exciting.
Barat, thank you so, so much for sharing your insights. It, it, in, incredible information. Uh, thank you, audience, for listening to Med Evidence. And um, look out for this incredibly um, growing area of liquid biopsies and, and keep an ear out because it may be coming to a community close to you. Thanks for watching the Med Evidence podcast. To watch the rest of this series, head over to medevidence.info or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.